In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 96-84 win in Game 2 of the first round series against the Brooklyn Nets, giving them a 2-0 series lead. We go over everything from their disappointing play in the first half offensively, the way they turned it around in the third quarter, specifically with Joel Embiid handling the double teams, Tyrese Maxey's incredible shooting, James Harden's disappointing night, and their increased defensive execution down the stretch. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Ready for an, uh, 45 minutes of Bijan Robinson talk? It's the only thing anyone in Philadelphia talks about if you listen to the radio. I, I don't listen to the radio too much, but I do know that you don't need to draft a running back in the first round. Okay, is, let's get to game two talk. It is amazing, though, because like every time I get in the car, I'm like, hey, maybe you're talking about the Sixers play. No, it's it's NFL. I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's the NFL draft. Uh, I, I, I am of two minds, though, because I understand every argument against using a top draft pick on a running back. But I just I love watching a, a running back. A really good, like dynamic dual threat running back is, I think, the most exciting thing to watch in football. So I get every argument against Bijan. But would I be excited a little bit? Yeah, probably. It's fair. It's fair. I, I mean, I'm 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 of the strict. I need the Eagles to win the Super Bowl, and I want the the best use of resources. But it's kind of like the that boy nice meme. You, you just kind of want to watch the the fun player. And if he did play for the Eagles, I think it would be awesome for at least a couple of years because he uh, seems like a great player. Yeah, I get every logical argument against it. I it's just, almost it's I almost wish, like I it's wish a reality. Good I wish the reality of the running back situation wasn't what it is, so that yeah. I could enjoy it without complication. It's almost like it's a good sports radio and TV topic because it is. It is. there are right answers on both sides of it. Yeah. Uh, and also, but, Jalen Hurts just got paid a billion dollars, so yeah. we might not get any well, Sixers coverage for a couple of weeks. Not a billion, only half a billion dollars. Let's oh, not yeah. be ridiculous. Give it another <laughs> decade and it will be a billion dollars with the quarterback position. Uh, I actually, I, I see a lot of people talking about how they need like reform, like a separate salary cap for, for quarterbacks. I actually think it's kind of interesting. If you have an elite quarterback, it should now be tougher because that is such a competitive advantage. So you should be in that salary cap hell just to offset the benefit you have of having an elite quarter. It's, it's sort of like the anti NBA where every star player is underpaid because of the cap. It should be tough to build around LeBron James in his prime just because you have inherited such an incredible. Anyway, why the hell are we talking about the NFL salary cap? It's interesting. Have- <laughs> I agree with you. Team we- building gets harder when you have to pay the guy a lot of money. Agreed. Oh, the cap, it doesn't. Anyway, what are we doing? What are we doing? Where's a, a game two win that we have to talk about? The Sixers are up 2 in, 0 in their series against the Brooklyn Nets. The first half of that game was a struggle. The third quarter of that game was very much not. I guess taking a sort of step back, what's your sort of thought coming out of the first two games in Philadelphia? My first big picture thought? My my first big picture thought is that the Sixers are better than the Brooklyn Nets. They are. They they're are. better when they play well, and they're better when they play poorly, which is what happened last night. And And I think, Derek, we are at this point where for where most of the season- Where you started doing your scouting report on the Boston Celtics? No, nope. not, not not yet. yet. Maybe tomorrow, though. We have two days <laughs> off here. The two of us like to look at the process. We like to look at what this might mean in the long run. And there are things Both we can... the capital P process and the lower P process. Yes. Yep. 
And by the way, they were using the the trust word a lot in they were not the process, not the process that we grew up with, but the sure. the process that is the the thing that is going to swing the series in the Sixers' favor. But we like to look for signs. What does this mean moving forward? How is this going to work against elite competition? And there is something from last night's game, which is is not great for the Sixers in that department. But I think my overall thought is that was one of the ugliest playoff games I've ever seen. But at this point, you're a little bit results-oriented. Did you win the game? They won. They're up 2 nothing. And do the Sixers just need to be as quick as possible in getting out of the series? Yes. And last night was a step in that process. So while I think there are a million things to clean up, which we can get into, and they're going to need to be a lot better against Boston, they did what they had to do. Do you, did you win your first two games at home? Did you hold serve? Yes. Good. Move on. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. The most important thing right now is winning early, moving on, getting upwards of a week rest before you play the Boston Celtics. And and by the way, that week rest might help some of the concerns that I'm sure we will talk about not too long from now. Which concern are you talking about? <laughs> there is a part of me that, you know, was watching last night and going, well, uh, that's not going to fucking work against the Celtics. It's impossible for me not to. I've been overlooking the Brooklyn Nets this entire series. Don't blame me if they lose. I don't have an impact on the outcome of the series. I can overlook them. You can overlook them. These Sixers cannot. I do, like I said, I do agree with you that taking care, because that was a game where you watching it in the first half, and they were pretty freaking dreadful in the first I half. It was, I thought it was an F, a straight F. First the half. only reason I would not give it an F, especially as it relates to Joel Embiid, is that he was very active defensively. Yeah. Like, more active than, there was a a, a transition, he, he got back in transition. <laughs> like, we see that happen maybe two or three times a year. And, if he did that more often, would he be defensive player of the year? Maybe instead of just complaining about the scorekeeper. But he also, if he did that all, all that often, might not be the MVP. And that's sort of the calculus that he makes when picking and choosing. But we saw him hustle in transition defense. We saw him on the glass. We saw him very active. So that's the only real reason I will not give that first half an F. In terms of offensive execution, they were freaking disastrous. We'll get to the offensive execution, but I, I do want our listeners to know. One of the most excited I've ever seen you is when he got back in transition. There was a play. The Nets threw the ball ahead. Finney Smith had six or seven steps on everybody else, and Embiid was kind of way back in the play. He was motoring back, and eventually Finney Smith had to kick the ball out, one, because Embiid caught him, two, because he bobbled the ball, and he's not a very good offensive player. But you pointed out, like, that that shit was getting pinned off the backboard if yeah. – uh, if he put that up and that was like the most excited you were like, Oh my God, he, he got back in transition to be fair. I, and, and you're right. I was excited. He got back in transition. I was also mildly nervous for my life because we sit just a couple rows back from where if he went, you know, bouldering into the stands, I'm not saying we would have been like the front row, but we weren't that far off. So I was a little nervous. He's a large human being, but yes, he got back impressively quickly. He had another one in the second half with Seth Curry, where he darted back to the corner, got Seth to pass it and came back and met someone. I forget who at the rim. Another wildly impressive defensive play in transition where he's just, he's amped up to a level that you don't see in a regular season. Like I said, for reasons that I think we generally understand why. I think it would be very tough for someone of his size and how much they rely on him on offense to play like that all year long. But it's very impressive when it does happen. Now, going to the offense in the first half. 
it was shitty. It was absolutely shitty. Overall stats, 44 points on 17 of 40 shooting, 4 for 16 from three-point range, 12 ungodly turnovers. And you and I were sitting there watching this unfold, and somehow they were miraculously only down nine or five at the half. We're just going, it's not that complicated. Just do what you did in game one, and you'll get good shots. And you might be listening to this and going like, all right, well, it's really easy to say that after you know, having the benefit of hindsight after watching that third. No, we, we, we were talking about this on press row. We tweeted it out. They made this way more complicated than it needed to be. I think as doc rivers put it, the nets were giving them the script. They just didn't execute it. And they did finally turn that around in third quarter in a pretty big way. But that first half, it just felt like, you know, first of all, they, they tried to run more pick and roll than they did in game one. And B the nets went small. They tried to go post up to Embiid, and this team just, cannot for the life of them throw a post-entry pass except for Harden. And I think Embiid didn't touch the ball as much as he expected. And then when he didn't touch the ball, he started forcing things and turnovers came. Harden it's just force. like, yeah. slow the F down, get him the ball at the nail, and let Brooklyn do their soft but quick double thing that he's picking apart at will. And they finally did that in the third quarter. There were a couple possessions in the first half where, look, they went complete small ball. Royce O'Neal other smaller players against him. They could not get the ball to him in the post. It's like you said, the Sixers are so bad at entering the ball. I would argue that, and then Brooklyn was allowed to play very physically, I thought, against Embiid. It was it was very much the, the little guy was allowed to beat up the, the big guy for most of the game. And you're right. It, it was maddening because they just... They, I think Doc said they got outside of themselves. They just... Things got away from him to the point where if they just slowed down, throw the ball to him at the free throw line, you're going to win. You're going to get great shots. And that is how you have to win the game. Um, I think like last night was a game we saw a lot during the season. The Sixers, they're not very sharp. They're not crisp at home. General malaise, lack of energy. They end up coming back most games in the regular season, but it ends up being a close loss. And there are two reasons this wasn't a close loss. Number one, you pointed it out. Embiid's energy was excellent the entire game. Any mistakes he made, he was probably the best player on the floor just because he was flying. He he was all over the place. The other reason is that they finally just got him the ball and did the thing they should have done from game one. They didn't even shoot the ball that well for the entire game. Brooklyn didn't either. It's It's kind of been a mirror series where two excellent offensive games from both teams in game one. Two terrible offensive games, but the Sixers terrible is better than Brooklyn's terrible. Their good is better than Brooklyn's good. They are better than Brooklyn. Uh, But yeah, they they just finally settled down and were like, oh, if we throw it to Joel, he's going to get doubled. And the ball's going to end up in Tyrese's (laughs) hands at some point, and he's going to make threes. And that's that's all that you need to do. And I, I think like the first half of that game was so annoying because that should never happen to this team. This is not the Ben Simmons spacing cluster F. Yeah. This is not, oh, Joel Embiid playing in traffic. This is not the 2019 26ers, the biggest spacing catastrophe you will ever see on an NBA basketball court. It's not that. They have shooting and playmaking and ball handling everywhere. Spread the F out and get good shots. This isn't rocket science. So I... I don't know. Hopefully that's the the dumbest half they play the entire playoffs because it was really stupid. (laughs) It was just dumb, man. They just. I agree. I agree. 
and then they got better. So good for them for figuring it out. Good for Joel, even though he turned the ball over a ton, way too much in the first half. Good for him for trusting his teammates. It's not that hard. They figured it out. Then they came out in the second half. They ran a Harden-Tucker pick and roll. Tucker was basically yelling, or Harden was basically yelling at Tucker mid-play. They ended up getting a shitty ISO from Embiid. Doc calls a timeout one minute into the third quarter. And that's at the point where you're going, come hmm. on, come on. Well, not only that, but you're going, all right, well, you know, even they call it a gentleman sweep a lot. It's just you fall asleep for one game. And you're thinking, all right, maybe this is the one game where they fall asleep. Since it's at home, since Brooklyn would reclaim home court, everyone will panic. I still think they're going to win in five, but maybe this is the one that, that Brooklyn takes. And then after the timeout, Sixers come back with a 20 to five run. And I went back, you're watching it real time. You're like, oh my God, they're getting a corner three every time down the floor. And it's the same freaking play. What's going on here? I went back and I rewatched it over a six minute stretch. They had a 20 to five run. They had 14 shots. Half of them, seven came on corner threes. Six of the remaining seven shots were at the rim. The only one that wasn't a corner three or at the rim was an above the break three for Harden that was gotten off of an offensive rebound. 20 to five run, 14 shots, seven corner threes, three offensive rebounds, six assists, zero turnovers, ball game over. And it's just, it was the same play every time down and it worked every time. It was amazing in two regards. One, how easy it was, which really pissed you off that they weren't doing it in the first half. But B, that Brooklyn just kept going back and back and back to it, hoping for a different result. It is something where, you know, if you and I were doing a Brooklyn pod right now, and God, thank goodness we're not because all the shit that's gone on there the last couple of years. But if you and I were doing a Brooklyn pod, we'd probably be going, all right, look, Jock kept the team together, succeeded in adverse conditions, really like what he's done. There's no real good solution for Embiid, but what the hell, like at least lose a different way. I feel like that would be our exact pod right now. And we'd probably be going like, you'd still lose because I don't know if there's no way to actually make this work, but just lose a different way. And they did finally dabble in single coverage with Embiid, but their doubles are just so ineffective that it it's, it, I mean, it was fun to watch. I also don't exactly know how much you can take that and then project that forward against the Celtics, but it's, it, it was fun to watch when it was working. Yeah. Uh, I think one smart thing that the Sixers did in that stretch, not a great PJ game. They used Tobias in the dunker spot more, which is important. Like when a team is scrambling to that degree, and basically the guy in the dunker spot is open 40% of the time when that's not usually the case on double teams, but because these are so scattershot and so wild, these rotations, sometimes the guy in the dunker spot gets open. And as you pointed out midway through the game, it is helpful to have somebody in the dunker spot who can dunk. Yes. And Tobias can dunk and And TJ, I'm not sure, can dunk. I wouldn't. Zero dunks on the season. I went back and I looked at it. No dunks. Uh, Not only a podcast, but also a player. I don't even care so much about the dunks, but like at least have a little bit of touch on the layup. Like he throws up a layup like he's just kind of guessing where he should be throwing it sometimes. He's got no touch if it's not obvious. There, there are moon ball reverse layups. That yeah, yeah, are very low percentage shots. It's they're kind of the shots that people in the crowd applaud and ooh and ah when they go in, just because they're so low percentage. But it, it's it's bad. It's a bad process. It's uh, 
look, and I, I don't think it was, it wasn't a very good PJ game last night. I thought he was still willing to take those corner threes. They didn't go in. Yep. But I also think credit the doc, go to McDaniels at the end of the game to have a cutter with a little more dynamism. Is that a word? Yeah. Sure. Right. A little, little more pop. And when we That's say the one at pop, the rim, right? Pop is at the rim. Yes. Okay. A lot, a lot of more pop than, uh, <laughs> yeah. than PJ as a cutter. Uh, but they, you know, in the middle of that, they used Tobias in the dunker spot. And Tobias gets a dunk. And Tobias also made, I thought, a, a really nice, pa- really, a couple of really nice passes. One that I remember two guys converge on him at the dunker, Dinwiddie and another guy, which again, the Nets are running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Two guys go to him and he finds Maxi over the top for a, a corner three. Tobias joked after the game that. Yes, that is a, a new position for him. He is not usually Mr. Dunker spot. He's usually on the wing or in the corner. I think that was very intentional to put him there, though, considering PJ can make a corner three and there was real value in having a legit offensive player. And, you know, to, to, to Tobias's credit, like he is, I'm going to sound like this is a uh, a damning with faint praise thing here. He's Mr. First Round. He, he was really good in the first round against uh, – <laughs> Toronto last season as well. And yeah, it I think it's uh, a little backhanded now that you, it is. A, <laughs> my point is this is two years in a row. He's been very good in the first round against a long junk ball opponent. And I don't know. I, he was look the, the Sixers won last night. If you want to boil it down to the players, maxi shot making and beads energy and just Tobias being very solid on, on both ends. No, he even had a couple of ISO possessions where it's like, well, Sixers are turning the ball over so frequently. Maybe Tobias taking a, you know, ISO turnaround jumper isn't the worst thing in the world. At least he's not going to hand the ball to the other team. Uh, he was, he was, he was good. 20 points, 12 rebounds, 8 for 14 shooting, made not, I think he only had one three, but he got some hustle boards, uh, made some hustle plays. He was, he was good. He was good for a third, you know, he's been a, for a third or fourth option. He's been all you could ask for through two games of the first round. Look at it. And, and I else. think when we, we, I guess we should go to Maxi here. Who was, who was quiet yeah. in the first Make shots and run fast guy. Did a lot of that. A lot of that. Yep. It's the, it's the good Tyrese do the thing where you put the ball in the basket often offense. Now, I think in, in past years, when we've seen him go off, though, it's been, you know, I'm thinking about Toronto game one last season. That's just ISO, cook the guy, step back, jumper, all those things. This came off ball movement. Yep. And look, man, if, if you're going to double off Embiid and Tyrese Maxey's on the floor, that is a, a calculated risk. Because if that dude is open or semi-open from three, that is terrible defense. You, no. you are going to lose the uh, the math battle on that. Pretty consistently. That is a like the, the open jumpers he was getting last night. Those are like almost fifty percent shots. They really are. And yeah. no, he's like you get three the points last two years. He's like fifty percent from the corners. Yeah. So and and also, you know, when you have such a scrambled defense like that, it's not just that he's a great shooter. He also can attack closeouts and get all the way to the rim. And you know, for for a while earlier in his career, we spent a lot of time on this podcast kind of griping about. Will you stop turning down the threes? Will you, you know, th- these runners and these mid-rangers, will you stop? Mm-hmm. He's finding that right balance now. Like, yeah. when, when he drives a closeout, it's because they close him out the entire way, and it is the, the smart thing to do. But he's starting to leverage the fact that, hey, I am like an awesome shooter. I should just continue to fire these. Gets up 13 of them last night. 
if Tyrese is shooting 13 threes, again, I think that's the sign of a healthy offense. He's, he's going to make a lot of them usually. I undersold him 58.9% from the corner last year, 51.3% this year. So he is not a 50% corner three-point shooter. He's actually much higher than that over a pretty good volume. Uh, and yeah, you're, to your point, I mean, I know they want the ball out of Joe's hands. They've made it very obvious. The Sixers, and Joe said this, they're too good of a shooting team to give up a cor- open corner three every trip down the floor. Uh, all, pretty much every team is too good of a shooting team to give up an open corner three every trip but down the floor. this team especially. This team is, is especially too good. Uh, and they didn't convert too many in the first half. They turned the ball over. They corrected those problems a little bit in the second half, or at least enough to beat a overmatched Brooklyn team. Um, yeah. And Joe, Joe ended up with what he ended up with 20 points on six for 11 shooting. Didn't get in a whole lot of shots there in the regular or in the game. He saved those for the post game. <laughs> Nick nurse catching a stray. Jaron Jackson, Jaron Jr. Jackson. catching a stray. On a night where he was named Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. He is the most online player in the world. And I think we're in that bubble for Joel, the online NBA Twitter inside joke type of thing. But he's going with Nick Nurse, the Memphis scorekeeper. He is speaking in online memes. and. But you know what? That's my language. I, I do, because of this job, understand what he's saying at all times. He threw a little... Well, shot at Denver in there. I think he. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that's Jokic's assists. I guess I don't. I don't even know that. Sometimes, as much as I am in the bubble, some of the stuff he says does go over my head a little bit. Like I, I can't say I understand all of this, but uh, yeah, you know, Joe. Look, I, I think Joe. There were too many turnovers in last night's game, but that's the difference between him and Harden. Like if he's playing hard. And by the way, he said before the game or after the game, he's like, he's like, that's the reason I don't play that hard during the regular season. Like, I can't do that every night, 82 games, but it is the playoffs, which is when it is time to play really hard. When he brings that level of energy, effort, defense, thought he did an awesome job against their five out defense, both yep. cleaning up messes for the Sixers and just having the win to, to just, you know, recover. Stunt, like you said, that's Seth Curry play. He was just really good all over the place. Um, that's the difference between him and Harden. Like his floor is just, it's it's good. Like yeah, yeah. his floor, it, he could his, not be sharp, and his his floor is still maybe the best player on the floor. Whereas Harden's floor is, besides Spencer Dinwiddie, the worst player on the floor, and that's kind of the issue that the Sixers have with their uh, with their two stars. And I guess that uh, that was the inevitable lead in. Yeah, and one other final point here on Embiid and the Sixers. Brooklyn ended up with only five offensive rebound on rebounds on 50 missed shots. Uh, the Sixers had their turnover problems. They didn't shoot all that well. But controlling glass made it pretty much a wash on the possession battle. Uh, and the Brooklyn needs to, you know, they really at the very least need to win two out of three-point shooting, uh, rebounding, and turnovers. They didn't really win any of them convincingly. And the Sixers are a better team. I thought they made a an adjustment Brooklyn. I don't think they were crashing the glass as hard in that game. Like one or two guys were, but I think they saw game one and the Sixers transition attack beat them really badly. And they said, all right, we're, we're not going to crash the glass at an insane level, which I think led to the turnover problems that we're about to talk to or talk about because 
James Harden in transition was a walking turnover. He was just like throwing the ball to the other team instead of like having a hit ahead pass to Tyrese Maxey or to Tobias or whatever. He was dribbling and then he was dribbling the ball to the other. Team. Yeah, no, he, he just lost control of his dribble a couple times. It was amazing. As you all know, by now we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager so harden on the night uh we're at eight points three for 13 shooting seven assists and he did have some moments passing the ball uh Four steals and five turns. So far in a series, he is 0 for 7 on shots inside of 10 feet and has yet to get to the free throw line. So I guess let's take all of that. You've got the turnovers, struggles finishing inside. What's sort of like your biggest concern from what he's done in the first two games? Yeah, the things you said, that inside the arc he's a disaster and that he's turning the ball over and yeah, yeah, he looks bad. So you, you mentioned... He uh, he has not shot a free throw yet in this series. That didn't happen once all season in a single game. He did it two games in a row in the playoffs. Yeah. And frankly, you know, I know Joel said after the game, he, uh, you know, he, he gives the Nick Nurse point, but he also says, I think James should be shooting more free throws, which I think is kind of a token step up for your guy type of, yeah. of thing. But also think- that's what Nick Nurse is doing. That is very yeah. Nick Nurse of him. Very Jacques Vaughn of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Harden should, you know, all right, maybe he could have shot four free throws in those two games. Like, I don't, I don't really see a lot of bad calls. Really, the I only bad. I feel like, especially in the first game, a couple of those drives were at least 50 50 calls where he could have gotten them. Yeah. And in the first game, we talked about, you know, he was blowing by people. And frankly, like the, the pop, as we mentioned, the jumping, yeah. that was the issue. And Harden. First was good, pop was bad. And we saw it like in the first game, like he was dropping off passes to Paul Reed, the play that didn't require the pop. You know, every, everything was there, the blow by, the the help, the drawing the help and then finding B-Ball Paul. That's, you know, that's what he had. Last night was just, it was terrible. And, and frankly, you know, Doc and Joe 
thought, you know, Tyrese were all like, you know, he, he organized us. He kept us going. No, he was, he was horrendous. Like, yeah. like we can call it like we see it. He, uh, that's just a nightmare game. And to combat my point where I know you were saying, I, I agree with you for the most part on just win, survive in advance, whatever. James Harden can't play that way against no. good teams. He just can't. And, no. you know, I think as national people and local people follow the Sixers, it, it's the roller coaster of how does he look game to game? What, what can he do against Boston? I don't know. You know, maybe this ends up being a through line in a negative way where it's just like he's just bad the rest of the playoffs and we're done talking about this team in a couple of weeks. I, I don't necessarily think that's always the case. I think sometimes those step backs are going to go in. Sometimes he's going to do a better job hunting matchups. Like he also suck. Like go go get Seth Curry on a screen, please, and actually a, as a team and as an individual, go hunt the bad matchup, please. Like yeah. like the, he didn't do that. And he just kept running into Royce O'Neal on isolations. It was, it was just a lethargic, bad game from him. But again, that that is not good enough. He he needs to be a lot better. Uh, I, I will admit that sometimes the step backs go in, but he can't be just running into people and turning the ball over in transition. That's just not good enough. No, but like sometimes the step backs go in feels a lot like how we talked about him in that Raptor series last year. Yeah. And that didn't exactly portend well to the next series. Um, and it, you you mentioned like a game to game. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he okay? It just that wasn't the case for a solid three three and a half months. And yeah. it's just it's tough that we're at that spot again. But if you were looking to have, oh look, he's had a week and a half off. Let's see how he looks. Yada yada yada. It has not been an encouraging start for sure. Now look, he might end up getting another week off here if they can take care of business. Maybe that week will help. Maybe this isn't even the Achilles. Maybe it's something completely different. I don't know, but they need a much better version than the one they're getting. And I'm not, you know, I think after the last game, I was on this pod saying I was cautiously optimistic. Yeah, not, not so cautiously optimistic anymore. He was awful, man. I, I you know, and it's, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to give people the, the downer podcast, but. It, it is what it is. He, he was not good. And I think when taken with what he did poorly in game one, eh, it's starting yeah. to get a little bit concerning. Anything outside of that really concern you as it relates to the rest of this series? You know, Brooklyn um, Sharp didn't play at all. They went small there when Claxton was out. Sixers didn't necessarily handle that well in the first half. They did a much better job in the second half. Uh, George looked out of it in the first half. All Sixers did, but George had a short leash. I mean, anything else really concerning you? Like I said, as it relates to the rest of this series. There's nothing about this series that concerns me. Just run your offense the correct way. You will either take two more games to win the series or three. One of the two. Yeah. Uh, to to Rich, Rich's point, his only concern was whether or not there would be a, five, a fifth game that he has to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to have to watch a fifth game of this series if possible because I think we both understand that the Sixers are going to win it at some point here. Uh, so let's not delay the inevitable. So yeah, that's that's all I have with this series. It's like you said, the Harden concern is more about Boston. I imagine even in his 
if he's in this diminished state, he's probably going to play better in the next couple of games because, frankly, it would be harder to play worse than yeah. uh, than he did in uh, in game two. But no, like they they should beat this team. I thought they, in fairness to to Brooklyn, if they get a better three point shooting night, if they get a three point shooting night, yeah. like game one, probably a Sixers loss because the Sixers mm-hmm. played a lot of two three. They play five out. They can get open threes against the Sixers in yeah. five out. They're not the best shooters in the world. It's a lot of like Royce O'Neal above the break. It's a lot of Spencer Dinwiddie step back one on one. It's not like the greatest offense in the world. But I think there's a game where they might bang in a bunch of those threes and it will be incumbent on the Sixers to actually run their offense and get even more open threes on yeah. the uh on the other end. But you know, I like look, I, I think the Sixers defense was very good last night and I thought Brooklyn missed a ton of shots, but that's the first thing you said before we previewed the series. Like, how are these guys gonna score enough to beat the Sixers? Mikhail Bridges Awesome player, but as a number one option, I don't know game to game if you can rely on kind of the brilliance of that first half of uh, of game one. Cam Johnson was was excellent. By the way, he was being guarded by James Harden. Are you, are you implying that's not a coincidence? It wasn't all Harden, but it, like it was Melton on the the massive dunk on Embiid that he joked yeah. that he forgot about. That was one of the best. I've, I I don't remember very many posters on Embiid better than that. That was up there. Great dunk. Uh, again, DeAnthony Melton. A little too much help there. That's okay. No, to your point. I mean, Brooklyn. They got up forty-two threes. Only made thirteen of them. If they had, especially there was a stretch in the start of the fourth quarter, and those non-Embiid minutes looked like they could be a little bit of a struggle. Not even so much because of Embiid's backup anymore. Like I thought, I thought Paul Reed was fine, maybe even better than fine. But when Harden is playing like he is, and Embiid's not on the floor, Harden's not carrying that offense like he previously was. And I thought during this stretch, I think they scored like eight points over a six-minute stretch to start the fourth quarter. Luckily, Brooklyn didn't score shit anyway. But I thought they got a lot of pretty good looks. And maybe if this was a different night when they were making them, they could have made the Sixers pay for taking half of the game off. Uh, but they didn't. But uh, yeah, I have no concerns over the rest of the series. Sixers are a better team. There's just way more ways for them to pull out a win. You just want to tell B-Ball Paul it's not your fault like Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, where it it's not your fault. It's James Harden's fault that those minutes it, were and those minutes were they, they broke even. They broke even. So and again, that that is B-Ball Paul doing his job. I, I know he had the one bad outlet turnover that led to the uh, the Seth Curry three at a moving screen. He made enough positive plays where B-Ball Paul, good, another good B-Ball Paul yeah. game. There's more B-Ball Paul chance too. Like it's so weird that at Wells Fargo center, the MVP chance need to be like shown on the scoreboard sometimes for people to actually get into it. You think they just be chanting Paul happens that for organically. B- B-Ball Paul is like as organic as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. It's a wild term. All right. What a world. It, it really is. It really is. You think if, if you think anything's impossible, just remember there is a B-Ball Paul chant at uh, at the Wells Fargo Center. All right. I think that's uh, probably all that I have, unless you have anything else you think is worth noting. Trying to keep these regular, relatively short since uh, you know, we'll have two a week. No, I didn't think it was funny that Joel got a first place vote for Defensive Player of the Year on the same night where he said, 
yeah, I take a lot of regular season games off yeah. on defense. I don't try as hard. And that's no, why he, that's why game two, he was like, that is what it looks like when I am trying on defense. Yeah. And he, he didn't deserve to be defensive player of the year. He hasn't he got, deserved that in a couple of years now. Two third place votes as yeah. well, which again. Wouldn't nope. be on my ballot. And I think it wouldn't be on Joel Embiid's ballot. And I think when he was making that joke about Memphis scorekeeper and Jaron Jackson Jr., I think he's not trying to argue I should be the defensive player of the year. I think he's trying to argue I could be the defensive player of the year if I wanted to be. Uh, and I think he's making the argument that in order to be the most valuable player, he has to conserve his energy. And there might think, be some truth to that. I think Giannis, to pull the double, did, did he win MVP and defensive player of the year in the same, same year? He did. He did. He might be the one guy who could do that just because of his... His skill set, and frankly, I think his surrounding personnel, like he, you, you could tell me he's the best defensive player on that team, but having Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez, I think, yeah. certainly helps. He might be the best defensive player, but there's two other elite defensive players. We, uh, also, we will see, speaking of Giannis, we, we will see that, that series is yep. Yep. kind of interesting. A, cu- very- a couple of kind of interesting series going on right now. Not, not the Boston one, although game two's tonight, maybe something weird can happen. <laughs> I don't think so, but maybe, but you've got that. You've got the Warriors down 0-2. You've got Draymond yeah. doing Draymond things. Also, that was Lakers a great game. I, I, I enjoyed watching uh, the Kings. I'm not going to make any bones about this. I am rooting for the Kings really hard to send the Warriors home because I think the Warriors have been just bad the entire year. And after all this conversation of, oh, get the sixth seed so you get the Kings, if they continue to get their blo- uh, their doors blown off, I would I would enjoy that. As somebody who's rooting for the Kings, though, that was you a ex- dirty that was a dirty play by yeah. Spons. I think Draymond yeah. should have gotten booted. He just like completely lost his mind after stepping on him too. He's like yelling at the crowd, all of those things. He's kind of a, a very interesting personality, in my opinion. I, I do I do enjoy watching kind of the the positives and the negatives, the duality of Draymond Green, because I, I just think he's kind of a captivating character and and a player. Uh, that was such a dirty play by Sabonis, though. I think he, yeah. he deserved to get stepped on, in my opinion, for that. No, it's not great. All that being said, don't you, you do kind of expect them to come back and win two games at home, right? Like, I expect this yeah. series to be tied up. I don't think it's it's over yet. Uh, and also, in that Miami series, Hero being out is kind of a big deal. Yeah. I, I get it that Giannis is the, the MVP other night, level there player. There was just like a string of injuries that was like, oh my God, what is going on? What is going on? And... Hasn't happened to the Sixers yet. Just, it hasn't. Just kind of old age and wear and tear, unfortunately. Uh, seems like uh, seems like the main injury going on. Anyway, though, I'm not going to comment on this thread at all because I'm already knocking on wood, and I don't want to be blamed if anything happens. Well, I basically said that Harden looked like he was hurt in, in last night. <laughs> no, game. that's true. That's fair. That's fair. Whatever. Hurt. The the point is bad. Hero being hurt, though, I, I do think Milwaukee yeah. still comes back and wins that series. But be very curious to see what Giannis looks like uh, and you know how precautionary that move was. Obviously, didn't look as bad to me as like the John Morant injury yeah. or, or anything like that. But obviously, you know, bad back is is certainly not something uh, you want to mess with. What, what do no. you think? R- real quick, la- last thing. What do you think about the old uh, ban the charge debate from this weekend? Oh, I've I've thought they should ban the charge for a long time. Even throwing out that it's not a basketball play, 
it's just so dangerous. Like it's it, there's no reason for it not to be. I, I'm surprised it's a debate to be honest. What do you think? And, and specifically, I think you mean the secondary defender coming in and and making that. Yeah, play. like yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I think I think a charge when a guy runs the on ball defender over is okay in yes. my opinion. Like I think yeah. that's fine. Well, like uh, you you were talking, um, you know, extending the the circle. Something I think that's like that. a that's a good move. Uh, I guess the only issue is I have with and and I think for most most of the league, I think banning that secondary charge is good. Uh, I, I just think guys get hurt when they when they try and do this. Now I understand this idea of oh man, like Ja Morant shouldn't be trying to jump over the guy like like Blake Griffin jumping over a car. That's it. I want Ja Morant to try and dunk over people like he's jumping over a car. That's it's part of the reason we watch. It's fun. The one guy who I just don't know if we could ban the yeah, charge for. Yeah. I, I think Giannis, it has to be legal against him because he would score 85 points a game. There would have to be something different. Halfback dive would be, I mean, it would be 10 carries for 400 <laughs> yards. I mean, he'd score every time. Yeah. He was the one guy I just, for the entire rest of the league, for John Morant, for the, you know, kind of the smaller great athletes like Derrick Rose back in the day. All of those guys, I am, I am down. Ban the charge against those guys. AD, go up, block that shot. You're actually capable of doing it too, dude. Giannis, eh, I don't know. Okay, that that was my my main take on that. That's a fair point. It's not for us to worry about. Uh, you and I are not going to be tasked with drawing charges on Giannis. That is the coach's problem. But yes, it is a very fair point. But I think still worth the uh, the injury prevention. All right, I think that is probably all that I have on this one. Next game here is Thursday in Brooklyn. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.